Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome, Browns backers. I'm Chuck Campisi, joined by Tony Dick, and this is Believe in the Browns. And just to give you a quick background on who your hosts are, Tony Dick worked in various capacities with the Browns over the course of 21 seasons with the team. So when he mentions being in the building, it's being in the building. He started with the team as a member of the Browns crew in 91. Worked with them up until the time they left for the city who shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> he rejoined the Browns upon their return to Cleveland and served his last nine years with the team as the team's manager of alumni relations before leaving in October of 2015. Tony is also a member of the Pro Football Researchers Association and has served as a research assistant for several documentary projects with NFL Films, NBC Sports, Time Warner Cable Sports Channel, and Epics. Myself, I have experience in the sports industry in various capacities with Major League Baseball teams, NCAA programs, the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where I earned a Super Bowl ring with the Buccaneers. Super Bowl, anybody? 37. 37. Uh, and between Tony and I, we probably worked about 20 Super Bowls. We're brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Welcome, Browns backers. We're Believe in the Browns, and we're back at you here. Chuck Campisi and Tony Dick, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can find us at Believe Podcasts. That's at B-L-E-A-V podcasts or at Browns Believe. That's at Browns B-L-E-A-V. You can also find us at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V dot com. Tony, we got a couple things we'll talk about today, a little a couple of the signings, a little bit of the draft, but mostly we'll spend kind of the back half or the majority of the show talking Bobby Mitchell. But First, we'll get to the less important things. The Browns did sign Adrian Claiborne, so I know people were looking for that Jadavian Clowney signing, but we got a guy that actually, as noted by Jake Trotter, of the 111 players with 50 pass rush snaps over the last two seasons, Garrett 
and Claiborne are one and two in QB pressure rate. So you got a guy who's better than Jadavian Clowney for six point two seven mile five million for two years. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a pretty good signing. I, I mean, you know, with Clowney, what you get is probably more name recognition. But at this point, we don't really need that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we we need production, and I think if you combine him uh, with Garrett on the other side, the name recognition is going to come. I, I mean, it's uh, you know that this is uh, it, probably of all the moves. Thus far, this is probably the one that is like kind of snuck in. This has been a slow week. It's kind of snuck in under the radar. But I think when you combine him with Miles, who has to, has got to be hungry. I mean, he's going to come in hungry this season and ready to prove something. Um, man, I just, I, you almost feel bad a little bit for uh, offensive coordinators who are going to have to go against these two and scheme against these two because, um, you know, both of them could command two two people on them you know at a time and they you know you don't really have that many guys up front you got five guys yeah. right um you throw a couple tight ends in there and and that makes for a disaster for some offensive coordinator so i like it i think it's a great signing i think it's somebody who comes in and they just um like i said it's on un- it's like an under the radar move he's 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 quietly good and that's a good thing i think i think from that standpoint yeah you're getting a guy who's gonna put up some numbers for you in a in short period of time right you're not getting the number of snaps obviously right the benefit of Clowney is he's an every down guy you're getting two or three times as many snaps a season out of him so um, you're looking at more of a third down or definitely a passing down kind of rusher but hey man for the price that they're paying for two years worth of what we hope that output can be, and what I think even if he gives us what he's been giving the past few years, I think that's a great signing for the Browns. I think it's a nice thing to see. On another note, we had Demarius Randall signed with the Raiders. Not that I'm happy to see him go, but not that I'm sad to see him go either. Guy who had a a pretty good 2018, a horrible 2019. People may look at some of the other numbers and say, oh, well, you know, it wasn't so bad. But when you look up the fact that the guy he was responsible for in coverage, according to advanced stats, gave up eight. He gave up eight touchdowns last year. Uh, that's not what you're looking for <laughs> out of a, a starting safety. So, uh, just no. a guy that moved on that we'll just note of. And, and and perfect example of a guy who brings name recognition, but maybe not <laughs> any redeeming qualities yeah. uh, there. I don't know how much even name recognition he's bringing, other than uh, if you for yeah. folks in Cleveland, yeah. but. Uh, the NFL announced a couple things. Uh, one, the draft obviously is going to be officially remote. We knew that, but they are going to have 58 prospects via remote connection. And just to tack on that before we get to that, they also did close all of the training facilities indefinitely. So um, that's that was probably the most interesting thing, but we'll talk about the draft from that standpoint. What do you think of inviting 58 prospects via remote connection? I think that's too many. I think you're going to have those sad guys that aren't getting picked till the third. You might even have somebody slip to a fourth round. Yeah, which in this day and age, like the times that we're currently in, I mean, is that really what we're looking for? Is is just <laughs> sad face to anything? I mean, I I, I I I don't know. I think we mentioned it last week. Um, I, I don't that whole aspect of the draft. I I don't get like I. I understand on the TV side of it and building up some drama, but the thing is, this year, 
do you really need to build up any kind of hype to um, to attract an audience? I mean, all you really have to say is the NFL presents, and it could be anything. I, I mean, it could be the <laughs> NFL presents. You know, each team submits uh, you know their guys sweeping the parking lot, and people would tune in. I, I mean, it. So I, I don't. I don't get that. I, I think don't want to call the travel channel. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I just don't, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand that. It seems like an awful lot of guys to, you know, and that's I, the thing. I get it. I'm not a draft guy. It's, it's, it's guys picking kickball teams and, and nobody knows what the results are until three or four years later, yeah. realistically. And even then sometimes not. So I, I'm not a huge proponent of, of this aspect of it with this many guys yeah i think if you had 10 or 15 guys that you are relatively confident are going in the first round outside chance that somebody falls to round two which is horrible when it happens but 58 guys tony you're definitely getting guys falling into the third round and i would probably put money that you're getting somebody falling into the fourth round and that i don't think is going to be a good look for anybody on a side note, what I would love to see, listening to some of the draft's chatter, which I, I still do listen to, even if I don't necessarily follow the draft as intently on draft day, yeah. I can I can flip through a ESPN feed and it will tell me exactly who was picked. I don't need to watch it for uh, 75 hours straight to <laughs> determine who was picked, right? I'd love to see the Browns take Jake Fromm, uh, however you want to say it, from Georgia. At 74, I'm seeing in sites that he may fall to the third round. To me... That's a perfect guy to kind of, hey, you know, you're not sure about this Baker Mayfield thing. You got Keenum in there. You know he's not necessarily going to be the long-term answer. Hey, maybe take a flyer with a third-round pick on a guy like that who, to me, profiles a lot like Kirk Cousins, who a certain head coach had some success with in Minnesota. Yeah, to, to me, I th- you're going to have to draft. I hate saying it because I still think we have a lot of holes that need to be filled, but I, I think you do need to draft a quarterback that's an appropriate round to do it it's it's a kid with experience on a championship squad Uh, I mean so you you've got that Um, I think that checks off all the boxes but I do think we need to bring somebody in here to push Baker because you've got all the people we've we've talked here for three weeks of all the pieces that have been dropped in around him at the end of the day you can drop all these pieces in but we're really rolling the dice on Baker because he, he had a, a he slipped up sophomore year. You know, you're rolling the dice hoping that that was just a sophomore slump. But if it's more than that, you have to have you have to have a backup plan. Otherwise, if you go into this year and, and even if yeah, even if Baker comes out and he's lights out, all it takes anymore in the league is one hit in the head or God forbid. Now somebody coughs on him. I mean, and he could be out for 14 days. I mean, I mean, so yeah. you, you know that whole thing to just say, "Hey, man, he's our guy." Hey, he he might be the greatest quarterback of all time. You know, we won't know till 30 years from now. Yeah. But but you know, in the interim, you got to make sure that at every position you have depth, and at every position we're getting better. And so, yeah, I have no problem with that. I mean, I I I honestly think it's something we need to do. So. Um, yeah. yeah, and then the other thing that made me laugh, and I know this is this one's a little dated, we didn't get to it last week, was Urban Meyer talking about how, oh my God, I don't know how these NFL teams are going to survive without going to these pro days and talking to these coaches about their players. Like, how stupid are these guys, right? Like, a college coach is going to 
tell an NFL scout, oh, yeah, don't draft my guy because, uh, you know, he's a basket case. No, every college coach tells every single scout, regardless if they're their best friend or their worst enemy, that every player they have is great and is going to be a great pro because college coaches don't care how they perform in the pros. They care about how highly their guys get drafted so then they could tell that to other recruits that are coming in. It's uh, comical. Yeah, um, I, and I'm going to forget his name. Blonde guy, quarterback. Uh, oh, that narrows it down. Well, no, no, but no, no, no. Blonde, <laughs> blonde, blonde guy, quarterback, head coach. Uh, he told us uh, repeatedly that Jeremiah Farms, linebacker, um, uh, was going to be the greatest, you know, linebacker in the NFL. Great kid, great character. Um, I. I I'm terrible with it with it with the names anymore. I think I, I've been. I don't know if I've been concussed. I think I'm just stupid. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it went on and on. Anyhow, about Jeremiah Farms, and, and I'm sure if you're a Browns fan, you remember that '99 to 2002 era when we were 2003 era when we were just killing in the draft. Uh, this is another one of those stories on the pile. We we go ahead and draft the kid, and um, turns out like uh, you know he was suspected of murder and uh, ended up. I, you oh, know, New Heisel. Yeah, New Heisel, yeah, Ricky yeah. New Heisel, Slick Rick New Heisel, hey, who won a bunch of money betting on Syracuse in the NCAA basketball tournament. The they want it so yeah, I, I, I got a, I got a soft spot for a new Heisel yeah. from that standpoint as a Syracuse guy <laughs> but yeah so he, he he had nothing but praise for Jeremiah Farms and uh, and lo and behold he was a murderer so uh, you know what, what are you gonna do right hey, you know what he, he <laughs> everybody was, murders played in the arena football league for a couple years yeah. all right so played entire season after his bloody print was tied to a shooting you yeah. know just that's, that, that's the number one story that comes up so yeah. that's okay it happens. Lessons learned. It happens. Always, right. wipe, always wipe your weapon before you. So, uh, so yeah. That, I mean, so I, as far as me trusting a coach saying anything, I mean, come on. And, and you, and you got to remember too, it's a it's a business. College football is a business too. Yeah. I, I mean, these they build the recruiting classes off of how many guys they get into the league. So you you think? I mean, it's like you become a used car salesman at some point. Yeah. I, I mean, you're gonna ignore all the rust and just. Hit the yeah. highlights and um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't get it. I, yeah, and the underwear Olympics at the at the universities are so much more important than the underwear Olympics in Indianapolis, right? They're so yeah. different and they're so much more football related. Um, so it's it's comical in my opinion either way. Again, we're brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? So Tony will move to a sadder note. Bobby Mitchell passed away earlier this week, part of a iconic backfield when him and Jim Brown were paired together, then was an excellent receiver through his NFL career, integrated the Washington Redskins as part of the, the Ernie Davis trade, four-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, led the league in receiving yards twice, led the league in catches once, led the league in touchdowns once. Redskins Ring of Fame, Browns Ring of Honor, Hall of Famer. Now, you knew Bobby Mitchell. Tell us the story or tell us your opinion or how you feel with his passing and what he meant not only to the Browns but to the greater kind of NFL community as a guy who then became an NFL executive from the time he retired to 2003. Yeah, I think, you know, I know they bandy about the term underrated, and it's hard to say that someone who's a Hall of Famer is underrated. I mean, obviously, you've, you've picked them to be in, in the elite group of the Hall of Fame, but 
I, I think when you look at Bobby Mitchell and you look at the the stats that he put up, um, you know, especially when he started in the his career under the shadow or in the shadow of uh, of Jim Brown. I mean, I, I just think he is a guy that if there could be a Hall of Famer that's underrated, it's him. And not just for the on-the-field stuff, um, just the in-the-locker room, the off-the-field stuff. I mean, I, I can't think of too many people that have gone through um, what Bobby Mitchell you know, had to go through in his career. And um, I, I just... I don't know. He's just one of those guys where, um, and it's funny because you know Bobby's kind of a you know what Bobby was kind of one of those guys was kind of you know not a not a not a guy who's seeking out microphones to tell his story. I mean, he was kind of an elusive guy, but when you did get him to start talking, um, the stories that came out were just amazing stories. Um, I countless times we had him when I was with the Browns, you know, coming and. Um, and speak, and um, I just remember the one the one year is our first. Um, we used to do a uh, MLK weekend um, or MLK Day event, and we would bring in kids from the Cleveland Metropolitan School District and and have players talk. And we put a for the first one we put a panel together, and I mean it was it was an amazing panel of, of guys, um, and Bobby was one of them on that on that panel, and you know as you know, typical Bobby, we go all the way down the line of the panel and, and, you know, we had guys like Dick Shafrath and, um, you you know, Dick's telling all kinds of stories and, and just the crowds, you know, all into it and, uh, laughing and, and, um, go all the way down the line and, and we, we get to Bobby and he's the last one with a mic. And, uh, he, he told his story you know, yeah, mind you, we, we've got a, a crowd. I mean, I'm trying to paint the picture here. We've got a crowd of kids from Cleveland Metropolitan School District, uh, a, a large majority of them uh, minority um, students. And he told his story about just how what he had to go through on his way to Illinois uh, for his, his freshman year at Illinois. And he left, uh, you know, his, his, his home in Arkansas and basically had a train ticket. Well, at that time, you know, he didn't ride in the front of the train. I mean, he was, he was literally in the back. I mean, we talk about being in the back of the bus. He's in the back of this train. And, uh, finally he talked about just getting to the back, the back, back of the train where he's, he's actually legs are hanging off the back of the train and he's just sitting there looking and he's, spending all this time wondering, like, where am I going? What's going on? You, you know, why would I leave Arkansas and go to Illinois? And when I think of Illinois, you know, I, I think Midwest, I think, you know, kind of easygoing place. But, but you know, that's me looking at it from my perspective. I mean, reality is he shows up to the University of Illinois. I mean, he's one of just a handful of uh, African-Americans on that on that campus. And, and I just can't imagine – you know, there's such an awkwardness to being a freshman in college as it is. And just to to go from your town, you know, in Hot Springs where it's, you know, your family, your friends, and to have to go to Illinois and all of a sudden, you know, you're a world-class. I mean, he was literally a world-class athlete, but it doesn't matter. Like, you're, you're just – you're nobody on this campus. Well, not and, 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 are you nobody. You're nobody. You're the – and you're a black guy in 1955 in yep. Champaign, Illinois, which is Chicago. You might have been a little better off in a bigger city, but I mean, you're out in the plains yeah. there. That ain't downtown. Uh... Yeah. So, you know, 
So you talked about the struggles there, and, and, and it was difficult for him. I think certainly being the athlete that he was helped. But then, uh, you know, he ends up going to the Browns, and uh, and now all of a sudden, you know, okay, I'm going somewhere where it's a smaller population. I should be able to fit in a little bit better. Um, and he goes to the Browns, and no, he never had a complaint about it. But, I mean, he's in the shadow of Jim Brown. I mean, think about it. You're a running back, and, and you get drafted, <laughs> and they've got Jim Brown. So, you know, it was one of those things where here I am, I'm a great guy, and I'll be honest with you, and, and Jim would probably say the same thing, to compare the two of them when it comes to speed, you're not. There's no comparison. I, I mean, let's let's get this out. Bobby Mitchell was a when I say he was a world class sprinter. I mean, he was literally an Olympic quality um, sprinter. He was going to compete in the 60 games, and um, you know that was that was the thought was that he was going to compete in the 60 games. He at one point had the. Uh, I know he had the world record in hurdles, like, uh, you know, in the 100, well, they, they didn't run the 100 meter, but yeah, I mean. the 110. Yeah. yeah. But but even think about it from this standpoint. When he graduated high school in 1955, the St. Louis Cardinals, and you're talking the St. Louis Cardinals, 1950 Cardinals, this is an elite yeah. MLB franchise at the time, offered him a contract to play Major League Baseball. That's yeah. how good of an athlete this guy was just all around. Yeah. Just a, an amazing guy. So he finds himself on the Browns, and and you know it's one of those things. He's one of those stories. If you're a Browns fan, you know when we get to the what ifs, there's all kinds of what ifs. You, you know I know I know we focus on the, you know the what ifs as far as you know getting rid of, you know I don't want to say getting rid of, but but trading Paul Warfield. You know mm-hmm. how did that set back? But the the Bobby Mitchell that backfield when you look at that. The shakeup when when Bobby was sent to Washington, um, you know, once again he he leaves the Browns where he finally got a little bit of comfort and I don't want to say he was forced, you know, I, I think it was um, the NFL was pushing that. Yeah, I mean, because it was all about all about yeah. s- segregating, uh, you, you know, the end the final. Yeah, and the Redskins didn't want to pay action. what they thought Ernie Davis was going to demand, and obviously nobody knew that he had leukemia at the time, so you yeah. had some of those issues. But to backtrack one second. Um, I got it here. February 1958 set the indoor world record for the 70-yard low hurdles. So not collegiate record, not a local college record, not even a U.S. record. Set the world record in that mark. Yeah. In college, and, and well, you know, and the funny, well, I'm gonna, I don't want to get off on tangents, but the the one amazing story was the fact that he blew his, uh, he blew his knee out. I hurt his knee, and um, in his junior year at Illinois, and uh, you know, if if you if you for you fans that are old enough, you'll remember that uh, you know, and, and I wish, man, they'll never go back to this, but imagine this, they would take the. Um, they would take the college all stars, and instead of having like the you know the oh, game yeah. like they have now, you would actually play the champion from the the year before um, in the NFL, which to me is like it's bananas that they were ever able to pull that off. But anyhow, as a junior, he, he doesn't play half of his year. Um, he shows up for that that all star game, and he ends up just lighting up as the Detroit Lions. Um, they they killed them like they just killed them in that game, and it was all Bobby Mitchell who. Um, well, not all Bobby Mitchell, but, well, but largely yeah. Bobby Mitchell. And um, the quarterback at the time was a guy who ended up quarterbacking for the Browns later on in his career, uh, Jim Nanowski. And um, 
he, he just light he lights up the Detroit Lions. Like it, it, as a junior in college, he lights up the Detroit Lions, which yeah. is the world champion at the time. Yeah, right? which so is bananas. The, yeah. That uh, once again, that's bananas to me. But um, but anyhow, getting back to the the Redskins deal, you, you know, the stories that he told, um, you know, us about his time in in Washington and the things that he had to endure, um, you know, as being the first African-American on the Redskins. I mean, some of it is just brutal, brutal stuff. I mean, he talked about, you know, when he first arrived in town, um, he, you know, going out to dinner with his wife, Gwen, and, um, you know, somebody came up to their table, and, you know, you know you know how it is. I mean, if you're a professional athlete, I mean, you're kind of used to people coming over and saying hi or whatever. So him and Gwen are, are eating dinner, and somebody actually came up to their table and, you know, called him a couple explicatives and including the n-word and and spit like literally spit on his food and then walked away and you know to have to tell that you know when when he tells that story and tells about the uh you know having to just sit there and take it and refrain from doing anything um because he knew you know, hey, man, that's just what they're looking for. That, that That's what they're looking for. Because if he were to take that guy out, and he probably could have just beat that guy to a pulp. I don't care who that person would have been. I mean, I know, I mean, he would have, he would have, he would have fought until he won. I mean, let's put it that way. But the, the narrative would have been, oh, you know, we got this black, black guys coming to DC and this is why we didn't have him on the team. Right. This is why we didn't want to bring him in because they're nothing but trouble. And look what he did. He beat this guy up in a restaurant. That yeah. would have been the narrative. Oh, yeah. And, um, you, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't know. It, you know, it's one of those things where you, you just wish that you didn't have to hear those stories and you wish that those stories weren't true. But for a majority of us, we, we will never know that kind of, hopefully, we will never know that kind of hate. Um, and it was, exa- it's not even like it was just a random act of just, despicable violence you know because it was a violent act against him i mean that was common that was commonplace and i don't know so to me um i i could i could go on and on about bobby and just his character he's just a a, an amazing person it's definitely you know a sad time for for brown's um you know fans and the family but you know the, the one thing that keeps haunting me is the fact that not only is bobby gone but i mean that in the in the times we're currently we're in, I mean, it, it's kind of I guess it's fitting for Bobby Mitchell. There's not going to be a big to do. I mean, because we're just not doing that these days, yeah. right? There's no big funeral or you know his teammates being able to get together one last time to talk. I mean, that's I I, I get that there's bigger things going out there going on out there right now, but that to me is a, a tragedy that. That that can't happen either, and uh, no, and that doesn't. Yeah, and just because yeah. there's bigger things doesn't mean there's not small tragedies that yeah. happen all the time. And and to to look at what you were talking about with with him with the Redskins, and in one of the articles that I found regarding um, his passing, he has a quote where you're performing for a group of people and you're not sure if they want you to. So I had a lot of mixed emotions in that game. I still don't believe I performed as well as I did, knowing how I felt all week long getting ready. And he's talking about specifically the first game and then the first home game they had. His first game with the Redskins catches six passes for 135 yards, two touchdowns, and has a 92-yard kick return for a touchdown, right, in a 35-35 tie with the Cowboys. Then in the first home game in front of D.C. fans, seven catches, 
147 yards, two touchdowns against the Cardinals. So you're looking at a guy who, under the most pressurized circumstances, where the team was forced, essentially, to integrate their roster by the commissioner and the president of the United States at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy who is doing it has all of this pressure on him, comes out the first two games, essentially 300 yards receiving on 13 catches, four receiving touchdowns, and a kickoff return for a touchdown, 92 yards. You can't perform under pressure any better than that guy did. And then also part of the the group that was a part of the Ali Summit that happened here in Cleveland Mm -hmm. in 1967. A guy who was not only doing those things, but cognizant of his place in the larger scale of society and the pressure that professional athletes could bring to bear on governments and institutions and companies to advance all people. Like I said, I can't I can't say enough about him, and you know, and, and you know the, the, that connection. You know, everybody always thought there would be this this um, not really hatred, but it just you know he would feel ill will towards you know the the Browns for having let him go, and and I know his uh, his golf outing every year. Um, you know, it was kind of a, a a tip of the hat to an Ernie Davis. I mean, all the proceeds went to research. Um, for leukemia and, and you know it's just I don't know like I said unfortunately in the world we live in right now there's not enough Bobby Mitchells out there so for for us to lose the original um is is tough I know the last couple of years he's been going through a lot um just with health you know stuff anyhow so it, you know selfishly we'd love to have him still here but but the reality is I mean he he was not doing well health wise um you know I've like I said, I feel bad for, for, for Gwen. I mean, this has got to be tough to go through this, but it's definitely got to be tough to go through this, um, you know, somewhat alone. Um, and she was a man. I, we could almost do 40 minutes on, on Gwen uh, Mitchell easily. Uh, I mean, she's a super smart, super smart woman. I mean, he definitely, as amazing as Bobby Mitchell was, uh, he definitely outkicked his, his coverage uh, when he married her because she is just – just a super intelligent woman and uh, super accomplished. Well, um, imagine being a, a black female in the 1950s and earning your law degree. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she's just like a, they were just a dynamic duo. They're great, two great people. And um, yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, it definitely, definitely a sad, sad story this week, and, and definitely a huge, um, you know, hole as far as. Just humanity in general. I don't know. Yeah, and it would be nice. Uh, you know, I don't. Obviously, we don't know what's planned for the season or anything like that from from a Browns standpoint. But it would be nice if if the Browns, you know, have some kind of tribute during yeah. during one of the games to to Bobby Mitchell. Um, I hope that event staff, uh, Corey Kinder, if you're listening, pay attention and and do something as a as a tribute for a guy who is in you know their ring of honor and. A Hall of Famer, but a Hall of Fame person um, as well. We'll conclude on that, folks. We don't have much else for you. And uh, hope everybody's staying safe, staying healthy. We're brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. 
Thanks, Browns backers. Talk to you next week. Chub check. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.